Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. We are grateful for Brick Lane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe, and then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. Thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you This is the final word, story time. I'm Jeff Lemon. It is approaching midnight in Melbourne. It is the night of the Australian Rules Football Grand Final. If you're a supporter of the Melbourne Demons, congratulations to you. Uh, you have not won a premiership since 1964, and now you have. Uh, I... Uh, I think I know a little bit of how that feels as someone who has a love for the Geelong Football Club who uh, won in 1963 and then had to wait for a very long time, admittedly 10 years plus earlier than than you have. But you may be in in a state of shock. You may not have felt that you've actually grasped the fact that this is real and it has happened, but it has happened. And uh, I, I hope you're able to enjoy this further over the days and weeks to come as you sense that it's real. For supporters of the Western Bulldogs, formerly of Footscray, commiserations to you. You have a team to be proud of. It's a, a lovely, quiet evening. I've got the balcony door open. It's a carnival of sport at the moment. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. The Australian women's cricket team just had one of the great ODI finishes Last night, was it only last night? I've been doing the AFL Grand Final live blog on The Guardian and then by 9am I'll be back on the live blog for the cricket for the women's match that starts tomorrow. The England women's team are playing New Zealand up and down the length of the country. Uh, someone has been travelling to see them. His name is Daniel Norcross. I, I will say I love Adam Collins deeply, but I'm, I'm slightly relieved that he's not here on Grand Final Night to talk about Hawthorne's 900 premierships um, in great detail. And instead, I have Daniel, who has been following this panoply of sporting action this September. Welcome to the show once again. It's an absolute delight to be back with you, Jeffrey. And um, yes, I do know a little bit about this game of footer, footy, whatever you call mm-hmm. it down there. No rules, Aussie, <laughs> no rules. Because um, Adam told me all about it on a train journey back from Dunlopy. And uh, congratulations to Melbourne. I find it quite amusing that a sport that's played almost exclusively in Melbourne has a club called Melbourne that never wins. (laughs) This was my take out from it, but that's because I'm an ignorant bomb. And it's, yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely to be back. Things have gone a little bit shaky over here. 
our Prime Minister told people not to panic buy petrol. And of course, the moment you tell people not to panic buy things, mm. you'll never guess what they do. They panic <laughs> buy it. But as luck would have it, the BBC reporter that was sent to report on empty petrol station forecourts, his name was... <laughs> <laughs> quite genuinely... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Phil McCann... <laughs> Uh, it's too good and honestly the first thing i thought of when i saw it the first thing that came to mind was the the 12th man uh, the channel nine reporter he invented called nick mccarr (laughs) nick mccarr national nine years (laughs) and now phil mccann is uh is trotting about the place as a real genuine human being who's reporting about not being able to do what his name suggests i mean uh, yeah and, and it's tickled us really and we need tickling because as you know mm. at this time of year what are we now on at the time of recording is the 25th of september so i'm afraid the german tanks are amassing on the polish border mm. and i must begin once more my annual recreation of the second world war which will begin mm. in complacent fashion while i think everything is fine and i Go the phony out. war. The phony war. I'll just go out every day and get a paper and say, hello, Elsie, hello, Doris. No, everything's going to be fine. And then in three weeks, mm-hmm. the clocks will go back and suddenly our, our brave boys will have to be got out of Dunkirk and, and I will just go into a form of uh, deep and profound misery for uh, five oh. and a half months. But it's, it's lovely to be able to take my mind off that with you today. <laughs> that is what we hope to do uh, through the medium of story time. The show where we go back in time through cricket history, sometimes not so far, sometimes very far indeed, sometimes further than we anticipated. And we do this initially, first and foremost, via the medium of a game that we like to call Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. It's a reverse quiz. Right? This is how it works. So we need to fund this show. We do this show a couple of times a week and we fund it by people making contributions, bless their hearts. And they make those contributions not in the form of a regular sum that you might spend on any given thing, that you might donate to something that you wanted to. It's not a normal round number. It's a very specific number with a decimal and some specific numbers after the decimal because it relates to cricket in some way, i.e., The first of these comes in from James Philbrook. The number that he has sent through is $2.75, which means uh, the the panoply of imagination is open to us. It could be 275, it could be 0.275, it could be 275ths, which wouldn't really work as fractions that would be very useful for anything, but it could be. We don't know. This This is the stage we're at, Daniel. We do not know. No, we don't know. And 275, when I when you first sent that through to me, it screamed a couple of people. Mm-hmm. It was nearly going to scream Ollie Pope, who yesterday scored 274, the Zahir Abbas, in, in a game that was filled with records that I was at, at the Oval, just mm. incidentally. Ten wickets fell for 1,394 runs. <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it was a tricky surface on which to bat. Eleven bowlers were used by Glamorgan. Michael Hogan, oh. the great Aussie quick. He, uh, he was behind the stumps while the keeper <laughs> bowled mm-hmm. absolute filth. It was a wonder to behold. But 
Two seven five. That one was, run more. I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch that game live, but I did keep an eye on it, and it was like reading the text synopsis of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. It was a, a horrendous scorecard to behold. It was foul. Sorry, finished on seven hundred and twenty-two for four, and it could have been a lot more, but because of the crazy, crazy rules we have in cricket, they were able to shake hands at twenty past four, having notionally declared, and then Glamorgan <laughs> refusing to come out to bat for some bizarre reason. <laughs> Uh, one of the, Andrew Sampson, the great statistician, tweeted out a number of great facts about it, one of which is that uh, I think it's the first time in a completed match that the lowest mm. score by an out-batsman is 36. <laughs> you, you've got to feel pretty bad only getting 36 on that. I think you and I could have got 100 on that. There were mm. a number of crazy anomalies in it. But it, it had a kind of macabre fascination because Adam Collins, our erstwhile friend and colleague, was there with me. We were doing something called Wicket Watch, which was, of course, the mm. greatest irony that we should be at the <laughs> Oval for a game that I think I calculated, if they continued at that rate, would have taken 16 days to complete. It would have made the Durban Test Match look like a T20, the Durban Timeless Test <laughs> in 38-39. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it would have taken 16 days at that rate. And, uh. yeah, we were there watching wickets fall around the rest of the country, and when what mm-hmm. happened at the Oval, it was, we, we, I mean, I think literally fell off our chair. Oh, my God, Hashim Amla spooned <laughs> one up to mid-on. How's that happened? <laughs> Not before he got 160-odd, of course, but... <laughs> no, but, you know, left a few out there, Hash. <laughs> yeah, I think he's, he's kicking himself now, I should think. So, 275. Mm. Yeah, so you mention a great South African who liked to bat long in Hashim Amla. 275 is... Uh, well, it was for a long time the South African record score before Hash got his triple century because Gary Kirsten and Daryl Cullinan both made 275 for South Africa at different times. But given we've talked about those innings before in some detail, I, I wanted to look further afield for James Philbrook. And I thought some listeners to the show listen so closely that they remember things on the show that we don't remember when we've recorded it. But one thing that I have noticed on the show is that Adam in the last say nine months, has been very invested in the career of Lahiru Tiramani, the Sri Lankan opener. Mainly because Lahiru Tiramani, until recently, has been completely shit. So he's a, a player who started... <laughs> Can't argue in, with that. Yeah. <laughs> he started in 2011 as a test player, had a few decent moments, made a 91 in Sydney, made his only century against Bangladesh, didn't make another 50 for two years, had long runs of really low scores, you know, single figures, low low teens sort of scores. By 2019, he'd got dropped. And by 2021, he was back. He's back in POG form. He'd been recalled to the Sri Lankan side. And this is what Adam found very entertaining, was that Sri Lanka were going so poorly that they had recalled Blahiru Tiramani <laughs> with his record. I think he was averaging 22 at that point after having played for eight years in the Sri Lankan team. Not great for a top-order player. But Tiramani came back and knocked off 111 runs against England in goal. And Adam was delighted, delighted yeah. that this had happened. Let's be very clear that I think it's true in saying that 97.4% of all Test cricketers in the last 30 years have their highest score against England. It's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's not a fact, it's just a certainty. Yes, <laughs> particularly ones who bat from 8 to 11. So he got that 100, he made 43 and 13 in the next test and then went to the West Indies, made 70 and 76 in one test, 55 and 39 in another and then came back to make 58 
in one test against Bangladesh and 140 in the next. So this year, 659 runs averaging over 50 for Tiramane, the uh, the Lara of Sri Lanka, as he's known. And the interesting thing is that right now, as of now, with Sri Lanka not playing test matches at the moment, his career average that was down at 22 has been boosted to 27.5. Oh. James Philbrook's number, 275. It's got to be that. It's got to be that. I, I, I love It's pretty that. good, isn't it? Oh, that is absolutely fantastic. Jeffrey. I think you've nailed it. <laughs> uh, I hope so. I certainly hope so because, I th- yeah, I feel like it's been talked about on the show and, and James may have had a, a bowerbird's eye and picked up that sparkling little bit of intel. So, James, let us know. Here's how it works. If we haven't got your number right, you drop us a DM in the patron messages and tell us well give us a clue you know direct us closer to your number and we'll come back to it in the revisit section which is what we do I, I, your first number oh yes yeah, so i just want to say very quickly about the hero Thirumani. he's been around so long that i remember putting together his jingle for test match sofa back in Ooh. i guess it must have been about 2012 about nine years ago yeah. Okay, sorry to interrupt you. No, this is the entire point of this show is that you should interrupt me because <laughs> it's a podcast. We don't have a time limit. Yeah, we, we can do this for as long as we want. Your first number, Daniel, it uh, comes in from Lee Couchman. The number is $2.33 and it came with a clue. You don't have to send a clue, but you can and Lee did. And Lee said this, Last year I was walking the streets of Keene, New Hampshire in the USA. I'll interject here to say... Um, my favourite state because of their motto, live free or die, which does sound fairly threatening when you're, you know, visiting New Hampshire and it's written on the walls of petrol stations and so on. But, you know, last year I was walking the streets of Keene, New Hampshire, where I now live, and found a street with the same name as my pledged cricketer. In the 90s, this player fascinated my brother and I. He made me believe that I could roll my arm over and bowl test match off spin myself. He also seemed like a fucking huge unit, but was dwarfed by the stars of his team in those years. I used to love hearing Michael Holding say his name. And that ties in beautifully now that Mikey has announced that he's hanging up the microphone and retiring from uh, cricket commentary. That the, the number of phrases that have been rendered beautiful by the way Michael Holding pronounced them is far too long to compile into any sort of dictionary, but... Uh, Lee had one of those experiences. What did you make of this, Daniel? Well, the first thing I did, of course, was in my head do a whole series of Michael Holding impersonations. And and for those of you who want to do them and don't consider it to be racist if you do it in your own head, can I give you a little clue, well, a little tip to how to do it? What uh, the great Mikey does is he pronounces every syllable, right? Every syllable. So if in your head you just want to... Find a long Sri Lankan name like uh, Mahela Jayawardena or uh, Srinivini Pavanananthan. Then pronounce every single syllable and do it in a beautiful, rich, deep voice and then you'll find Michael Holding. So I was, think- I was thinking along those lines and I was, uh, let's say, I was slightly confused by the clue because I was thinking mm-hmm. about a fucking huge unit that bowls off-spin. And, of course, uh-huh. you know, there's our, our Bermudan chum who was a fucking huge unit, but he didn't really... I think he probably turned his arm over and bowled a bit of off-spin occasionally. And uh-huh. I couldn't really get away from Rakeem Cornwall, but I thought, no, that's not right because it's the dates... Wrong era. Wrong era, yeah. exactly. Wrong era. So well, I, I thought Shane Shillingford, and, but he was also the wrong era, but he was, he was very tall. He was tall, yeah. It didn't feel like much of a unit. 
But then I thought, hang on, I'm going to come at this from another angle because when somebody's young, pretty much all test cricketers look like huge units. I think that's mm-hmm. safe to say. I mean, as a child, I think I probably thought Alan Knott was very big and he certainly wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> because you do, because they're larger than life. So I sort of put the unit to one side and I mm-hmm. thought about Keene, New Hampshire. Now, for most people, Keene, New Hampshire is a tiny one-horse town that they've never heard of. In, as you say... For most people, Keene, Keen, New Hampshire is notional. <laughs> in that I, I, I believe that it exists because Lee has told me it does, but I, I couldn't give you any further guarantee than that. Well, get this. I went to a wedding in Keene, New Hampshire. It, <laughs> it was the wedding of my second oldest brother, Alistair, who was marrying a, and, and is still married to a fine American woman by the name of Diana, uh, who incidentally occasionally speaks like a cat for no apparent reason. Uh, my sister-in-law, okay. she'll suddenly go, meow, 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 meow. I don't know why, but it's strangely charming. Is there ever a cat there? Uh, well, there is, is in it? her house, but not in mine. So when she's in my house, right. and, um, and I ask her if she'd like another gin and tonic, and she goes, meow, meow, meow. I, I, mm. I always assume that is yes. And bring her one. And she mm-hmm. drinks it, so I think it was. Does she just drink it by lapping it with yeah, her tongue? Just laps it up. <laughs> I actually stick it in a small bowl and she gets down on all fours. Um, <laughs> the ice bobbling on the end of her nose is a beautiful sight. As a 60-year-old woman now, <laughs> the fizzy bubbles, the lemon, the ice coming out of the bowl. Mm-hmm. Anyway, again, I digress. So I thought, hold on a minute. I know Keene, New Hampshire. And I actually spent quite a long time there, by which I mean like a week and a half, aged 18, 19. And the strange thing is, when you're 18, 19, and you're at your brother's wedding, you kind of go out and about and do stuff and see the sights of Keene, New Hampshire, which I have to say are relatively limited, but it was during a heat wave. Mm. So I was on my feet. Does that make you a keen observer? It makes me very much a keen observer. And uh, as I was observing Keene, I had a light bulb moment. And... There's a Hooper Street in Keene, New Hampshire. There's a Hooper Street, right? Yes. <laughs> now, look, it's possible that this is a coincidence, that there's a Hooper Street and uh-huh. Carl Hooper, the great Carl Hooper, one of the most gloriously languid batsmen in the world. A man also looks like he's been hit in the face with a frying pan by uh, Tom or Jerry. Uh, there's, there's something wonderfully flat about his fizzog. He bowled what looked like crap off spin, but... By the way, he took just shy of 1,000, 1,000 career wickets with that flat Jeez. filth. And it was flat filth. 555 first-class wickets, 396 list A wickets, 8 T20 wickets. That adds up to 959 wickets in professional cricket. Best wow. known for being an astounding and magnificent batter who always underperformed. Well, I say always. We'll come to the, the time that he didn't underperform in just a moment. Mm-hmm. He played at Kent. People who played against him, county cricketers, talk about Carl Hooper. I would say I have a conversation about Carl Hooper five or six times a season, either with you know <laughs> Rob Key of England and Kent or David Fulton of just Kent mm-hmm. or Michael Atherton or Graham Fowler. Forever, there's a funny, strange, strange noise comes over them when they say Carl Hooper. They say, mm-hmm. and they always say the same thing. They say, the only man I've seen hit a forward defence for six back over a bowler's head. 
<laughs> he had a languid timing and grace. I think he's hit the tree. There was a tree at Canterbury. I think he hit that tree a few times, much to his chagrin, because it was always four if he hit the tree, because mm. it was just inside the boundary. Um, mm. So I thought I'll explore a bit more of Hooper, because this is a bit too coincidental. Hooper in Keene, mm. New Hampshire, bowls pretty rubbishy offspin. These are all mm. the clues. But I thought, where does Tupac Tall guy. Do? Tall guy. Tall guy. I wouldn't have called him mm. a unit. I think to be a unit, you need to be a bit broader of beam. But like I say, yeah. he was probably young when he first encountered Carl, and he would have looked pretty tall and pretty unity. Mm. So then I, I thought, I'm going to explore. And there's a couple of beautiful things about Carl Hooper, not just his wickets. You know he scored 5,762 test match runs at an average of 36.46. Mm. He also scored 5,761 ODI runs, Ooh. which is kind of beautiful, isn't it? Kind of beautiful, yeah. just one run between them. And then, like a glorious beam of light shining just past a very dirty cloud indicating that soon the weather will pass, the covers will be off, and we'll be able to get back out there, was his highest score. And I think you can guess what his highest score was. Do you want to have a I go? I remember that he made 233. He made... 233 and I'll tell you when he did it and against whom uh, bear in mind this pledge was $2.33 it was for the mm. West Indies you're not surprised to know uh, especially because it was his highest score and he had yet to move to another mm. country it was in his hometown of well I say hometown in his home country of Ireland Georgetown well not an island Georgetown mm. Guiana oh yeah and uh, at the border ground which is a graveyard for bowlers similar to the Oval the match started on the 11th of April. It was concluded, actually, on my birthday, the 14th of April. In, uh, on his birthday? Yeah, I know. In 2002, I was uh, celebrating my 33rd birthday on the, on the fourth and final day of that game because the rains came to destroy it. Mm -hmm. And it was a match against India. He came into bat with the score on 44 for three. He then had a marvellous partnership of uh, 293 with Shivnarayan Chanderpaul. Also yep. uh, around that neck of the woods, who made 140. He scored 233 with 29 fours and three sixes in an all-out total of 501. This was just as the West Indies were becoming a bit crap. But it's kind of notable because we talk about how he had a pretty of a yeah, lean period in his career, especially at the start when people expected more of him. When he was captain, he averaged over 50, and he was captain in this game. Mm. There was no result possible. India made 395 mm. for seven. Rahul Dravid scored 144 not out on my birthday. I'd just like to make that clear if anyone mm -hmm. wants to know. My birthday, it's the 14th of April. If I haven't said that mm -hmm. enough times, uh, you know where to send mm -hmm. gifts. Yep. Care of Mouthy Twat, London. That'll do it. Um, so 395 for seven. It's the most tedious game imaginable, but it would have been enlivened and brightened by 233 from Carl Hooper. So <laughs> there you go, Mr. Was it Couchman? Yes, yes, Lee Couchman. Lee Couchman. I think we've got it, and it's lovely to know that you and I both have a connection with Keene, New Hampshire. I think you do have it. I'm very confident about that. Lee, you can let us know in the DMs. Uh, we've done a couple of nerd pledge numbers. I'm just going to break things up here and play a slightly different game for a second. This is a game we call Julio Pledge. Julio Pledge. Uh, this is when people don't send nerd pledge numbers, but they send uh, a normal number because, you know, they're not nerds. That's fine. You don't have to be. But because they don't get to have a nerd pledge moment on the show, we'd like to have them on the show in some form. And we do this by trying to figure out something about them from only the information that we have, which is their name in a spreadsheet and nothing more generally. Nick Baskaran 
is is our first. Thank you, Nick, for supporting the show. The thing I like about Nick Baskaran is that when I read his name, I read it in terms of the song from The Phantom of the Opera. I read it as Baskaran, leaving pledges on demand. Baskaran, <laughs> hide your face so the world will never find you. How are you um, spelling Baskaran? Because I'm, I'm loving this name. I've never heard of such a name. It, it is B-A-S-K-A-R-A-N, Baskaran. Baskaran. Sounds very... Forceful to play. The hound, you're, hound you're of the Baskerans I, I, is what I'm. You're, yeah. you're a you're a civilized man. You're a man of culture, Daniel. Yeah. I, I imagine we, we haven't talked about this, but I'm going to bet that you hate musical theatre. I, I do. Passion. I, I absolutely despise yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it, uh, I've yeah. got a long and deep enmity towards musical mm. theatre because, and I'll tell you for why. It's because I hate mm. seeing actors enjoying themselves. Uh, it's such a frivolous <laughs> existence anyway. Acting a little bit like being um, mm-hmm. a cricket commentator that when they come charging on and go, I'm so happy to be here and to sing the entire plot of this mm-hmm. play, um, mm-hmm. I kind of want to smack them around the face with a wet fish. So mm-hmm. this I am, I'm annoyed by. I don't like opera either for exactly the same reason. I think if you've got something to say, yep. say it. Just say it, you know, and do it in dramatic mm-hmm. fashion. And I want to see my actors at the end of it racked with exhaustion as they've gone through some kind of Stanislavski technique and their hollow husks yep. of men and women at the end. Um, the only thing left to revive them is uh, like vapours and a, and a large whiskey mm-hmm. before they go mm-hmm. lonelily to a garret in Paris having picked up a, a small amount of money and then they have to go through it all again to do the most exhausting job in yep. the world. I don't want them happily singing and I hate yep. the sound of music with a passion. But I will say... Yeah, that I do like uh, West Side Story, but you know, look, we've all got an Achilles heel. Sure, yeah, I, I think the thing about like the Phantom is a genuinely shit musical, and it is it's a shit musical because it has three songs in it. You know, they just recycle the same reprise. You know, there's the da 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 da, and then there's the the music of the night one, and then that's it. They just recycle the same three songs over and over again. No good, but. Nick Baskaran, your um, nickname on the footy card in the inverted commas will be Masquerade Baskaran. Uh, Andrea Balcom has supported the show. Andrea invited me and Adam to dinner at one point. Andrea lives on the way to Manchester, and so I hope that at some point we will be able to drop into Andrea's place while we go from one match to another in England and have dinner. I don't know if you know anything about Andrea Balcom, if you've got any vibe. Well, no, but I'm just kind of feeling a bit left out now. Hmm. Thanks, Andrea. Yeah, NFI. Well, you have fun at dinner. I'll just have my face pressed against the window like Dustin Hoffman at the end of The Graduate, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, Matt Danson has, has supported the show. Uh, the the guy who would be on the Dance Dance Revolution machine if there were one available in, in pandemic times. Sorry, say his name again for me. Matt Danson. Matt Danson? As in, you should be dancing. Oh, Yeah. yeah. That's not what comes to my mind. What comes to my mind is that he's like the love child, if possible, of Matt Damon and Ted Danson. Which, um, hello. Do you know? I mean, I don't think the technology is available for that yet. But I'm a big fan. I've become a big fan of Ted Danson since watching The Good Place, which, albeit, had a slightly ropey middle series, but I really enjoyed the first Mm -hmm. one. If you've not seen it, I thoroughly recommend it. Ted Danson was sort of revived in my mind by Curb Your Enthusiasm, and then has reached great heights in that. And the moment you said dancing, I thought of him. But then because of the Matt thing, yeah. I got like the dogma thing going on in my head. So when mm-hmm. does Matt, is Matt Damon in dogma? So I've basically got yeah. two kind of supernaturally kind of religious-y type things going on. I've got Matt Damon yeah. from dogma and I've got Ted Danson mm-hmm. in The Good Place. Right. So I'm now imagining 
Matt Danson with a pair of wings, mm. slightly silvery hair, okay. possibly a kind can we, of modern angel. Can we get Alanis Morissette involved at some point? Because I believe she played God in the film Dogma. God, that'd be if ironic. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Akshay Krishna Kumar. The thing I love about Akshay's name is that Akshay. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the, the the concept of Pig Latin, uh, which is not to be insulting, but it, it's a it's a version of language where you change a syllable around. So if I would say Daniel in Pig Latin, I would say Annual Day. So if you're Akshay, then you are Shaq Krishna Kumar. You are Shaquille O'Neal in ah. Krishna Kumar form, which is you know I mean that's a pretty good thing to be. So you're seeing something like. A six foot ten inch kind of you know imagining him in a vest mm. doing a bit of basketball mm-hmm. yep. I, yeah i think yep. i see a that's bit of that seeing it. yeah yeah no i'm i'm, I'm with yeah. you there i like shack that's the vibe oliver matic has supported matic. the show i love oliver oliver matic but so it's it's a name but it's also a sentence that you say when you're trying to dig something up and you're selecting which tool you'd like to do it with oliver matic he'll have a spade oliver, oliver, matic. oliver matic yes you see you could have an australian accent for that haven't you i think mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I'd like to, th- I'd like to think that Oliver Maddock might be digging something up in uh, our next Julio Pledger, Rion Gully. Uh, you could just no. pop down to the Rion Gully and dig something up because Oliver Maddock. That's absolutely beautiful. We generally got a Rion Gully. <laughs> yep, we do. I was caught. I was caught. At, I was caught at Gully off Rion King in a game once. <laughs> Strangely oh, enough, yeah. <laughs> really? yeah. I was running. I was, you... I was running a long way away from the ball, as I recall. I think I was dragged into a fixture that was beyond my capabilities by the late dropout mm. of one of the good players. And as a good club man, I agreed to turn up. And um, you can imagine my shock and horror to find West Indian fast bowler Rion King at the top of his mark. Well, uh, mercifully, I was down at number 11. But yeah, I was some way towards square leg when I poked my bat out of the ball that bounced a bit and looped <laughs> gently to gully. So yeah, Rion oh. gully, you're basically, you're basically I... my dismissal. <laughs> I, 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 he is. I, I did wonder when you said you faced Rion King, I thought, how did those two come together in the one match? How did Daniel Norcross and Rion King come together? Yeah, shouldn't have happened. Well, he was, he was a club cricketer. I think it was, I, I can't remember for sure, but it's like old mid-Whitgiftians or old Whitgiftians. So that, it's a Whitgift is a school in the south of London where Surrey right. have played many times and it's got a very, very lovely pitch and they have an old boys team mm-hmm. that plays in the Surrey Championship. And... I, I can't I, look don't quote me on it because I can't remember what team it was I was so, so traumatised mm-hmm. by the experience but I had a feeling it was down there somewhere and um, okay. yeah that's and, and they would pay him and he'd turn out and he would terrify unsuspecting second 11 cricketers who, who should have been batting at six on a park pitch and instead had some rapid road and a bloke bowling 85 mile per hour bombs at him <laughs> Jesus. Well, Rion Gully, you you are a dismissal. Thank you for supporting the show. David Adamson uh, has done so as well. I would like to think that David is actually Adam's son. I know Adam has a daughter, but maybe maybe Adam has a son as well, and it's David. Well, he's been around a while, hasn't he, Colo? And he's. Mm. I mean, there's a lot we don't know about him. Yep there are there are the missing years. Mm. You know, <laughs> the, the uh, who knows what happened? Who knows what happened in between times? So, David. Drop us a line if you need to get in touch. This may be your first tentative reaching out, and that's fine. We want to help you through this. Uh, Caroline has supported the show. Caroline! From the the Outcast song, Roses. Uh, also sweet. took some great photos at the vaccine game the other day. Took some, uh, some terrific shots oh. with Adam's camera. Did Caroline? Why didn't I go to that vaccine game? Was I working? Something must have been happening. Probably. 
Yeah. It was Friday. It was on a Friday? Yeah, it was a Friday. Yeah, it might have been. Friday yes. evening. Yeah. That's a shame. You were either working or drinking, I imagine. Well, if I'm not working, I'm drinking, yes. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's, mm. one gets precious little opportunity these days. <laughs> and our, our, uh, our last Julio Pledger is Andrew Ruddick, who I like to think that if, it, if, if the mood took Andrew Ruddick, he could pop down to Somerset and with a tin of paint and minimal effort, he could turn the Andrew Caddick stand or pavilion into the Andrew Ruddick pavilion. It wouldn't take a lot of work, Andrew, if you wanted to do it, if you wanted to make it yours for a day. It's within your grasp. I've got to tell him, though, that even if you do do that, it doesn't guarantee entry. I know Andrew Caddick pretty well, and, and I know his wife very well as well, Sarah, who's a lovely woman, and she's still to this day furious that Andrew Caddick was denied entry to the Andrew Caddick Pavilion. <laughs> she's not being able to get her head around that, <laughs> and I'm not sure I can either. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, those are our Julio pledges. Thank you for supporting the show. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, back to Nerd Pledge. We've got a double header, right? And the double header, you might be confused by this. It looks like a Julio pledge in that it's $2 flat. It's 2.00, but it is, in fact, a Nerd Pledge. These are two different people who sent in 2.00 as a Nerd Pledge. They are Jack France and Brian Strain, who my brain uh, always dyslexifies as brain strain, which is what I often have after staring at the computer for too long. They both come with a clue. So 2.00 from Jack, the clue is on his birthday, (laughs) or on my birthday in this case, because it's on Jack's birthday. And Jack's birthday, he says, is in January. Brian's clue is equally brief. It says, Weekend at Burnsies. Yeah, now uh, you said... a reference to the 1980s film Weekend at Burnies. Right, okay. Now, you see, I could have done with knowing that, really. (laughs) So, I was completely confused by both of these. Well, not confused, but when someone says, Mm -hmm. it's my birthday and it's in January... I don't know. One of the first things you do is check out 200s, isn't it? I mean, you must have done that. And, and I think, yeah, I I think, think I'm right in saying that the most common number, most common score, once you get into three figures, maybe it's over 150, is 200 not out. There are 174 right. of the bastards out there. <laughs> Jesus. And there's a further Glory like, hunters. There's about 70 or 80 odd 200s. Because essentially people get to yeah. 200 and then they declare, don't they? So... Um, Which I don't like that. I resent that. Mm. Surely you get to 200 and then take a couple of overs to have an absolute filthy slog at everything. Surely. I mean, mean, give yourself a bit of fun. Have some good, have a good time. You've done the job, haven't you? It's a bit like watching Ricky Clark yesterday. He came out to bat with a score on 680 odd for four and he decided to defend four overs on the front foot. I was thinking, this is the last time you're ever going to pick up a bat, Ricky. And he's a lovely man, Ricky. I generally thought he was going to mm. swing for the hills. And you're right, anybody Pumped on 200... some over long on. Come yeah. on. I think he wanted a red inker. I mean, that, I suppose that's the ultimate professionalism, isn't it? To come out at 680 for four, knowing you've got half an hour to bat in the, your last game ever and going, right, well, I'm not getting out. I <laughs> mm. don't want to get out in your last game. That's cussed professionalism. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to start? Which one do you want to go with? Well, let's see. I th- I've got I've got nothing great, but I've got a little bit for either. So, how about you start where you feel comfortable, and then then I'll take it from there. Well, I'm going to because what I'm going to do is I'm go- I'm going to conflate really. Uh, well, I say conflate. I'm going to I'm going to steal the clue about the birthday, right? But even mm-hmm. but unfortunately, the birthday that I'm going to refer to isn't in January, so I'm going to hurl it mm-hmm. onto the weekend at Burnsies and. Mm-hmm. knowing that I had no idea what that reference meant, of course, because mm-hmm. I'd never mm-hmm. seen a weekend at Bur- Bernie's, did you say? 
What is that? Weekend at Bernie's is a caper film from the 1980s Ooh. in which a couple of a couple of young men who I, I don't remember who's in it, but let's say they were played by Corey Haim and Corey Feldman because they could well have been. They go to visit a rich guy at his house for the weekend and he dies, but they're having such a good time that they don't want to you know, give up yeah. this nice weekend that they're having. Yeah. So they pretend he's still alive and they carry him around and, like, put sunglasses on him and make him wave to people with strings attached to him and other various hilarious capers ensue. That sounds wonderfully macabre. I, mm. I can't believe I've mm. never seen that film, especially because the 80s is definitely my wheelhouse. But it passed me by. Yeah. So what I've done is, and I'm sure this probably isn't the right answer, but I want to tell you a story mm. about birthdays. And... I'm going to begin at the beginning with Sam Curran. Mm-hmm. So I have a singular... very good place to start. <laughs> but, hey, we've talked about musical theatre. <laughs> if you're not careful, I'll do everything in plain chant. <laughs> so, Sam Curran. He was 20 years old when this event occurred. and We were at Headingley. Mm-hmm. I was commentating for a Test Match Special on a match between England and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not a particularly famous game. In fact, England steamrolled a rather lacklustre Pakistan who opened the batting with Azhar Ali and Imam Ul-Haq, he of the glasses. Uh, and they continue to do that without much success. It's very much the triumph of hope over experience sometimes in Pakistan. Um, they made 174. Little Sam Curran, unremarkably, 7.1 overs, one for 33. I, I don't know if our listeners are at all familiar with the tales of William Brown by Richmond Crompton, which are stories of a rambunctious nine-year-old and his friends, the outlaws. And they get up to all mm-hmm. sorts of scrapes in the 1920s and 30s before people were aware of the tanks and massing. It was a little bit like, you know, it's always mm-hmm. June in William world and it's never mm-hmm. September and Poland being invaded. And he comes, he always comes hurtling in with that look of furious rage because his sister's just, you know, stolen his catapult or disconfiscated it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always been slightly fascinated by Curran. Anyway, England, in response to 174, scored uh, a rather unusual 363 as it contained an awful lot of 40s, but Joss Butler, 80 not out, beautiful innings. He hit one over the, the, the stand that is now constructed, but was being constructed at the time. Uh, I always thought fondly of it, just narrowly missing a construction worker and landing in the football ground on the other side. Mm. And again, nothing remarkable. Well, he did happened. nearly take out one of the, um, the cameramen at uh, at Cardiff during the maybe it was the Champions Trophy in 2017 he played a ramp you know sort of scoop ramp shot over mm. his own head that went through the gantry and right between two of the camera guys who were up there and nearly knocked one of them off and I think the ball ended up in the River Taff but uh, it does that a lot yeah. there doesn't it and that's a very precarious place to be I wouldn't want to be on that gantry anyway he as Sam Curran this, this is the rambunctious furious nine year old mm. William Brown yep scored 20 and Mm -hmm. uh, this took place on the 3rd of um, 3rd of June I think it was 3rd of Mm -hmm. June and I turned to um, statistician Andrew Sampson a man we've spoken of already in this edition who's a wonderful Mm -hmm. lovely man but it's my job I think as a frivolous commentator to try to blindside the statistician Mm. by asking them a question that they will not easily be able to answer because the look of puzzled anger that comes over the loveliest of men 
is something that, <laughs> that gives me great food. It, it's like nourishment mm. to my bones. <laughs> so I innocently turned to Andrew Sampson when Sam Curran was walking back to the pavilion, caught Assad Shafiq, bold Muhammad Abbas, for 20 on his 20th birthday. I said, uh, anyone else got out for, the, for their age on their birthday, innocently? <laughs> Although not that innocently, because I had a sense that this would upset him. <laughs> and he gave me a look of, of great filthy contempt. <laughs> and something along the lines of, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can find that out easily either. <laughs> so I said, oh, we, we might have scuppered him. Well, lo and behold, the next day, a very bleary-eyed Andrew Sampson came in. And he doesn't drink, really. Yeah. Um, you know, not he's not a teetotaler, but he's, he's he's not a drinker, and he looked absolutely exhausted, and he confessed he'd been up till gone three o'clock in the morning in search of this information because this is not something that's kept easily on a database. <laughs> no, you cannot search that. No, you can't. <laughs> and he discovered, actually, this has only happened once before. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> I thought that was quite weird, actually, because you'd think people mm-hmm. would be out for. 27 or 21. 30 or 21, whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, seems, it seems quite a mundane thing, really. But it has only ever occurred once before, and it's occurred in a very famous test, which is why, because it's story time, I think, I'm, I, think I was drawn to this story. This is why I was mm-hmm. drawn to Sam Curran being 20, and 20 point naught is 200, yeah. or 2.00 if you want. So yeah. it is 20. Yeah. The only 200 other, can be 20 as be easily 20. as it can be 200. It can be 20. And so I, I thought, there's only been one other person who's done this, and it is mm-hmm. Jeff Puller, who will probably not be very familiar to most of our listeners. Jeff mm-hmm. Puller played in the 60s. He had a proper 60s face. Looked like, you know, he'd, he'd like worked down a mine and done amateur boxing in between, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. He got out for 26 on his 26th birthday, which was the 1st of August 1961. And that match is a very famous match between England and Australia. Australia held the Ashes as a result of having won in 58-9. And they went into the game with the scores one all. And let me just give you a quick roll call of the teams because they are a roll call of, well, superstars from the 60s who are never really given their credit because the 60s was such a drab decade for cricket, the mm. lowest scoring or slowest scoring, I should say. And there were lots of draws. Australia. Laurie, Simpson, Harvey, Norm O'Neill, Peter Burge, Brian Booth, Ken Slasher Mackay. Always wonder what that was about. Mm -hmm. Never got told. Alan Davidson, one of the great men, a man who who greeted me once, and for the first time I'd ever met him. And I was introduced to him, I think, by Colin Croft. And he looked me in the eye. This is the first thing he said to me. The the numbers might be slightly wrong. He says, 1961-62 against the West Indies. Benno took 28 wickets at 25. 21 of those wickets were numbers 7 to 11. I took 25 wickets at 22. 20 of my wickets were 1 to 6. Who got all the bloody credit? Bloody Benno. Hello, I'm Daniel Norcross. Nice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is one of the longer Uh. digressions I think I've done. (laughs) Yeah. I'm marvelling at it. So anyway, Alan Davidson, Richie Benno, captain, mm-hmm. Wally Grout. Got all the credit, though. Wally Grout. Fucking glory hunter. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking glory hunter. 
it was good to see that you know 55 years later Davo had, wasn't bearing any kind of grudge no he'd um, let it go let yeah. it go uh, and number 11 Graham McKenzie I mean that is mm-hmm. one hell of an Aussie side they were bowled mm-hmm. out for 190 so you imagine the series on a knife edge it would have been similar you know to, to one of the some of the great series we've seen recently but how quickly we forget fourth test one all Australia bowled out for 190 England are on top Truman one for 55 Statham five for 53 Ted Dexter recently recently dead Ted mm. Dexter three for 16 and Jack Flavel who sounds so much like flannel it always confused me uh, he took mm. the other wicket England in response Jeff Puller top of the order 63 no he wasn't 63 but this was the first innings mm. Roman Subaru, Ted Dexter Peter May Brian Close Ken Barrington down at six John Murray David Allen Fred Truman Brian Statham Jack Flavel that's one hell of a team scored 367 a massive first innings lead of 177 Australia reply with 432 will it be enough handy they've set England 256 and it's on the last day it's quite soon into the last day. England are going to get around about 75 overs, 75, maybe 80 overs in. Will they go for it? Well, they started off by going for it. Jeff Puller made 26. On, yes, his 26th birthday. A red-letter day. Oh, he was so happy. When he went off, out at 40 for one, but later seeing England advance to 150 for one, he thought this is going to be the best birthday I've ever had. I've scored 26 on my mm-hmm. 26th birthday and England are going to take a 2-1 lead going into the last match of the Ashes. Roman Subaru 49, Ted Dexter 76, but then a collapse as England lose their last nine wickets for 51 runs. Six for 70 for Richie bloody Benno. Nearly all of them numbers. Seven all to 11. the credit. Let's have a look. Let's, uh. just, let's, just, let's just take a look and see how many Hoovering of those... Hoovering up the lower order. Exactly. That's what he was doing as normal. Alan Davidson, of course, brave Alan Davidson, took two for 50, one of whom was the number 10, <laughs> Brian Statham, <laughs> <laughs> and one of whom was Jeff Puller. How the world comes oh. round in full circle. <laughs> and Australia won it. England were attacked for going for it. They, they faced 71.4 overs. Mm. They were going at just under three and over, but they were attacked for mm. flashy play. They got caught betwixt and between. And with that, Richie Benno had fashioned an ashes retention out of the dust mm-hmm. of potential defeat on a dramatic final day a day that would go down forever in history as the first time that anyone had got out for the number of runs they scored on their birthday until sam curran uh. came along and scored his 20 <laughs> so that's my story around the number 200 i'm uh-huh. convinced it's not what what our man or men mean because i've really conflated them both mm-hmm. but it's it's the best i could come up with well, Jack, if you're not satisfied with that, then perhaps you're dead inside. I don't know. Perhaps it's time for some introspection. But let us know in the DMs. I I did look at a little bit of um, a birthday being in January. I did think New Year's test was where my mind went. And I did find that in a test against Zimbabwe at the SCG in 2003, Adam Gilchrist and Matthew Hayden were both out for 20 uh, which seemed notable, you know, to a couple of players who didn't open together in test cricket but opened together for a long time in one-day cricket. And if you were Zimbabwe and you got them both out for 20, you're going pretty well, especially I think that was the test after Hayden made the 380. Mm. So that would have been a relief. Uh, but that Sydney test happened in October, not in January. So that can't be it. However, something that did happen at the SCG in January was in 2007. 
when Australia were chasing 46 in the fourth innings to win oh. the Ashes to complete the whitewash ahead of his retirement in his final test match, Justin Langer, with a tear in his eye, looking at the gold mm. and the green, thinking about the waddle and the emu, <laughs> JL was, was, was 20 not out in his last test innings uh, as, oh. as he went into retirement. So could that be the two zero zero for Jack France? Do you know, that feels, that feels really possible. Because he's in the news a lot at the moment, isn't he, Langer? And he's a yep. he's a man yep. that makes you lachrymose and thoughtful, and mm-hmm. kind of it, it brings a sort of Proustian pang to everyday life. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. That's 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 what I was thinking. Um, and and as for Brian, who said weekend at Burnsies? Look, I did think that if only Joe Burns had made a double ton during a Sydney Test match, that would be great. Um, then we'd be set for that clue. But he didn't. He's only made one double in his first-class career, Joe Burns, and that was 202 at Kazali Stadium in Cairns, apt for grand final day. Up there, Kazali, in there and fight. Every kid's dream to make a double at Kazali Stadium in Cairns. Um, <laughs> so it's not Joe Burns, but I, I, I did think, or oh, almost Burns, and you mentioned this player just recently, Peter Burge. Burns, oh, yeah. Burge. Peter Burge is test cap 200 for Australia, 200. Weekend at Burgie's, not quite. Burjo's catchphrase, not quite. Could it be anything um, in the plot of the film? I, I haven't watched it recently enough, and by that I mean in the last 30 years. I probably okay. saw it as a small child mm. to be able to tell you that. But it's not Rory Burns either because he's also only made one double. What I did find, which, you know, could... If we were doing 20s rather than 200s, Joe Burns played three seasons in the T20 Blast for three different teams, Glamorgan, Leicestershire, Middlesex, made 260 runs for 13 dismissals, which is an average of Uh, 20.00. Not impossible. No, it's not impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last last thing I'd suggest maybe is that I know that Brian Strain is from the South Island of New Zealand, um, from around Dunedin Way, if I recall correctly, and thus may have come to Christchurch in 2016 when Australia played New Zealand, when Brendan McCullum made the fastest 100 in Test history. And we're following that in the second innings. Joe Burns made a very important innings. He made 170, got Australia the lead, eventually got them the win. And how does it relate to 20? Well, he hit 20 boundaries in that innings. He hit exactly 24s in that 100. Weekend at Burnsies, he started that innings on the Saturday of the Test match mm. and he was out on the Sunday. Ah, now I think you might have got it. You little genius. Well, I say little. I mean, abnormally oversized, frankly. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that's, that's beautiful. That feels plausible to me. It uh, does. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it feels like it, it's good enough. It could be good enough. Brian, let us know. Um, anything further to add on the two zero zeros before we move on? No, none at all. Uh, I'd, I'd love to know where they're coming from, though, because mm. as I said to you, I, I went trawling 200s and I, became, I went down so yep. many rabbit holes because there are so many 200s and I thought I could be here forever mm-hmm. finding 200s in January. They happen a lot. Yep, we could be here for a very long time. Uh, let's go bigger than 200. Let's go to 300s. We're going to Mrunal Nakashe, who has sent through $3.09. Now, 309 can be nothing else, I'm sure, but the triple century made by Verenda Sawag. Uh, the first and, and possibly only entrant on the final word shit list because he was mean to Glenn Maxwell and we will not tolerate that on this show. But we cannot <laughs> deny his pioneering work with the bat, his record-breaking scoring uh, speed and, and massive runs in 
well, all forms of cricket, really. He made the second uh, double century in one-day international cricket and he was India's first triple centurion in test cricket. I remember how big a deal it was in 2001 when Lakshman went past Sunil Gavaskar's 236, which for a long time had been the highest score by an Indian player, you know, notwithstanding Tendulkar and Dravid and all the rest. But when Lakshman went past it, it was it was considered to be, you know, like this, people were really excited about this in India and he went all the way to 281. And then only three years later, Sawag gets the 300. He goes past Laxman. Adam actually talked about this test match last week because India made 675, which was a nerd pledge number we had last week. Uh, so the thing is, though, we didn't, we didn't get into Sawag in great detail in this and I think it's worth going over this. The first day at Multan, India haven't played Pakistan for 15 years or so. It's a pretty good bowling attack. Shoaib Akhtar's in there. Mohamed Sami, Saklain Mushtaq, you know, handy operators. Mm, that's very nice. Very nice looking outfit, that, yeah. Verinda Sewag gets dropped at uh, in the deep when he's on 68. And then by the end of day one, he's got 228 runs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's an extraordinary man. Then he gets dropped again the next day when he's on about I think 278, 279, um, and then he hits a boundary next ball to go past Laxman's highest score for an Indian player. Ends up on 309 from 375 balls. It's also notable, I think, in this match, so after they've made the 600, is that Pakistan batting first, make four, batting second rather, in their first innings, make 407. They bat for 127 overs. And then Raul Dravid, who's captain at the time, says, back you go, <laughs> enforce the follow-on, pop Whoa. them back in. <laughs> to try to um to how to, long were they fielding for? How long do they end up fielding? 127 for? overs. No, uh, and the then the second place. time, the second time around, they bowled them out cheaply. Um, this was the interesting thing. So Zahir Khan was crocked. He didn't bowl at all in the second innings, but they were worried about running out of time. And so Anil Kumble across the two innings bowled 69.3 <laughs> overs <laughs> back to back, and went from taking two for a hundred to taking six for thirty in the second innings when they rolled through them in no time at all. Um, so the the inverse to the usual sort of follow on thing where you bowl a team out cheaply and then they make heaps mm. the second time around. But and then the other interesting thing is that when Sawag made his other triple, so he made his 319 four years later. He made it on exactly the same date. No. The 29th of March when he got his first triple and the 29th of March four years later when he got his second. Is there a partic- is that a particular, like, God's day, perhaps, that Viru is associated with? Maybe he is blessed by sure. someone on that particular day. You need to be around mm. him. What's the date again? Because I, I think, I, think the, I need to be around him. 29th of March. So Twi- if you can yeah. shoot for that for next year. 29th of March, I just drop him a line. I, I did a bit of work with, yeah. with Viru. Um, he's, one of the most, uh-huh. he's one of the most sensationally charismatic men. And of course, are you familiar with the fact that um, after matches, he would often speak about himself in the third person? So we get mm. onto the bus. It's always a good sign. It's a great sign, isn't it? So we'd get onto the bus after his team had lost, say in a T20, and he'd say, Viru has played splendidly. Viru has scored <laughs> 70 of uh, 52 balls. Viru has been let mm. down by all of his teammates. And all of his teammates are here. Viru is displeased. His teammates need to get better. <laughs> and I just love that about him. And the other thing I love about him yeah. is his unbelievable confidence. So in 2011, you may recall, I think he was injured and he, he flew into England late. And he got there and virtually straight off the plane was selected because he's Viru. And, um, well, he bagged a king pair. But he did it in one wonderfully nonchalant fashion. I mean... 
he went for it <laughs> each time. <laughs> but his, his certainties as he basically walked off the plane and walked onto the field to face what was about mm-hmm. to become the number one side in the world, because England were at that point very good. They had a strong batting spine, and Broad and Anderson were sort of coming into their own. And had a good battery of fast bowlers, and Sayweg just sort of walks out there like Viv Richards, and then just walks off. And goes, well, you know, it's not my fault. It's probably my teammate. It's well, sorry, it's Viru's teammates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why? Why didn't they soften Viru up the ball did, for did me? Did not get the support he required. Viru did not. No. <laughs> and I remember being on, on commentary with Test match sofa for that, and it was it was a truly wonderful exhibition of self confidence on the part of the great man. Sometimes mm-hmm. getting out first ball for a duck, you can show as much class as you can scoring 309 mm-hmm. yep it's all about the way you carry yourself and sort of the good thing about being an opener is it's never entirely your fault there's always someone else coming afterwards who could have stopped the rot and if they didn't it's their fault yeah all right up next Tilo fob friend of the show took a screamer at midwicket in the final word 11 match last friday uh germany's foremost cricket supporter three dollars 18 is the number from Tilo comes with a a clue he says other hints are an alliteration and that it happened in front of Jack Fingleton presumably at some time in the 1930s what did you make of this Dan? well what I made of it was let's go straight for 318s shall we surely I can find something with a 318 in it like as a, as a yeah. score there's only been right. three 318s recorded in first-class history, which slightly surprised me. Mm-hmm. They were scored by W.G. Grace for Gloucestershire against Yorkshire at Cheltenham. So Jack Fingleton mm-hmm. wouldn't have been around then. The great, the mighty Jack nope. Fingleton, the man who wrote for me the definitive biography of Victor Trumpo, one of my favourite books. A wonderful man, Jack Fingleton. And a known enemy of Bradman, so uh, he appeals to Englishmen, good red-blooded Englishmen the world over. So I discounted 318 by W.G. Grace. Then, frankly, I discounted MDUS Jaya Sundara's 318 for Ragama Cricket Club against the Sinhalese Sports Club at the Premadasa Stadium in Colombo, uh, because he mm-hmm. wasn't there either. <laughs> and the last one... <laughs> <laughs> the last one is Sean Dixon, the Aussie opener uh, of Kent who I've scored naught or triple hundreds uh, a couple of years ago and he got it for Kent against Northamptonshire a couple of years back at, uh, at the yeah. county ground in Beckham so I'm thinking could be 3 for 18 could be 31.8 but for it to happen in front of and it's alliterative suggested to me mm-hmm. alliterative suggested to me more than one so we're going to have a you know um, Burt and Burr Bradford and Bingley something like that right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I went in search of 318-run partnerships. Who are those two bowlers who are running around for one of the county teams? There's, there's Blatherwick and, oh, like and, and Balderston Bla- or Blatherwick, something. Blatherwick and Balderston, yes. They, they've, they were yeah. actually... They were Extraordinary. A- they were actually removed from a Lowry painting and grown in a, <laughs> in a test tube. <laughs> they, I mean, they, they sound like Dickens, like like humorous solicitors in a Dickens book or something. Yeah. Welcome to Blatherwick and Balderson. <laughs> yeah, we will absolutely screw up all of, all of your conveyancing needs. Before you know it, you'll only be able to afford to live in a small croft on the highland of Scotland. <laughs> anyway. Where you'll meet the love of your life. Yeah. <laughs> you'll thank me for it eventually. Uh, her name is Dolly, the sheep. Right. So, alliterative, 318, there's a partnership. There's an alliterative partnership by mm-hmm. Hudson and Hamilton. 
Hudson and Hamilton. Oh. All together slightly more posh, I think, than our sisters. Um, yeah. They were playing for the army against the Royal Air Force. Hang on. When was that, I asked myself. 1932? That's in Jack Fingleton's... Well, he's about 23 then. He's uh, finished at university. Yeah. He's, uh, well, he's, his studies at any rate. And I think, I think he made a trip to England. I don't think he was playing because it was at 32. The Aussies weren't mm-hmm. in England in 32, but I think he was. And I think he could very well have been at the Kennington Oval because he'd have nipped down there as a cricket fan. Army v Air Force. 318-run partnership between Hudson and Hamilton. It feels right, doesn't it? I thought I'd give mm-hmm. you a little bit of an explanation of the game as well while we're at it. The army thrashed the Air Force by 130 runs. I mean, you would expect that, I think. The Air Force altogether more flighty, probably very loose outside off stump. Every time they went out to bat, I'm imagining each one saying, tell, tell Elsie I loved her. <laughs> Whenever one of their bowlers takes a wicket, they do the aeroplane celebration. That's right. Uh, and I imagine most of them were fairly smashed, whereas the army... They strike me as solid individuals. They had to put in, mm-hmm. you know, 400-mile walks as part of their training. And sure enough, a 318 partnership very much speaks to that kind of stolid sense of duty. I think you'll agree. Mm-hmm. In the end, they were both removed by Scoggins. Scoggins, you'll be delighted to know. <laughs> Which was a skin condition. <laughs> <laughs> a, very, a very, very tricky one. Even the royal family complained of it. In those days, it, it got around quite a lot. Roy Scoggins... Yeah, Len Hutton brought back a bad case of it from the Caribbean. It was... Yeah, well, I, 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 Wally, Wally Hammond, very much so. Um, Sorry, Wally well, yeah. <laughs> I always get my Hammond and my Huttons mixed up. Very, I don't want to defame anybody. Quite different, I think, in temperament. But yes, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. So, uh, Reginald Eustace Hudson, hmm. he made 217, died in 1995. Uh, he actually had a relatively decent... Um, first-class career, but almost all of it playing for the army. Averaged 40 with 1,800 runs. And he was batting with Cyril Penn Hamilton, marvellous name, who died tragically mm-hmm. in 1941, aged 32, buried in a military hospital. He, he played a lot less first-class cricket. Um, averaged 39, 475 runs. They were both got out by Roy Scoggins, who was playing his only first-class match. He took five for 112, mm-hmm. and that was it. That was it. And that was his only innings because the army won by an innings and 130 runs. They absolutely thrashed the Air wow. Force. But the Air Force didn't mind. They went out for a huge party afterwards and uh, went out and um, painted the town red and did a lot of dancing and nightclubbing. And the army, I think, uh, had mm-hmm. to go and um, dig sewers. Isn't that what the army tends to do? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they dig the, uh, the sewers canal. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah that they're, they're they're big. That's the British Army's main job is looking after that joint. So I think, um, I think around it, that time, uh, I think that might work. Three hundred eighteen, nineteen thirty-two. Fingleton's knocking about. Mm-hmm. Alliterative partnership. Tilo, I love your work on Twitter. Tell me if I'm I'm anywhere near it. By which I mean right or wrong. Because right. it's it, it can't be half yeah. right. This one. No, no. But but you know, um, if we're not near it, direct us somewhere. Uh, Chris Dobbins is our next number. $2.31 is the Dobbins number. Uh, he says, there will be a running theme for my pledges. When I looked up this stat, I was looking for a particular type of stat that was not a cap number. Okay, so 231, not a cap number. Chris Dobbins' previous number, Daniel, mm-hmm. was 204, which referred to an innings made by Greg Chappell in Sydney in 1981. I think from memory that maybe Chris had seen this um, as a 
a youngster might have seen this innings. So interesting, I thought, that he said not a cap number because his number is 231 and Ian Chappell's cap number is 231, but it's not that. But that's a curious coincidence. So I thought if there's a theme and the number is a certain kind of thing and the last one we had was a score at the Sydney Cricket Ground, then maybe this is also a score at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Yeah. Because at the SCG, a man who we just mentioned, Wally Hammond, uh, presumably while the SIF was giving him a bit of a break, in 1936 in the 36-7 Ashes series, made 231. Wally Hammond did. He he did. And what was interesting about that innings was a bit like the Greg Chappell innings. Didn't no one get over 67? Well, something like that. The Greg Chappell 204 was... was, There weren't very many other scores around him, were there? There There's nothing of any substance. That's... That's right. Yeah, there were certainly no other hundreds. So, so what happened in in that match was that England made only 426 b- before declaring. Hammond had made more than half of their runs um, all up, mm. even though they'd been batting for quite a long time. They were scoring fairly slowly. Um, yeah, I think no one else made more than... Uh, the next highest might have been 40-odd from my memory of looking at that scorecard. But uh, after declaring... Hammond, uh, because uh, the the Quisling trader Gabby Allen was captaining, uh, and, and, th- and, for you, and, and throwing and throwing the, the series away after going uh, yeah. into an almost unassailable well, lead. So, so what happens is that they declare it for twenty six England, and then they bowl out Australia for eighty, and then make them follow on and make them lose by an innings. Bradman in the series to this point, this being the second test, Australia's lost the first two. He's made thirty eight naught. Nought and 82. And, and I mean, 82 is a failure in Bradman. Language. And it was a first ball but duck as well, ducks, wasn't it? It was like, like his first ball duck against Bose. Was it against, was it Vose who got him this yeah. time? Yeah. One of the body It was Vose who got him. Heroes, as yep. we call them in England. He made a second baller in the first test and then a first baller in the second test. So at this point, he's basically Ajita Gurkha um, <laughs> facing up in the series. <laughs> England are leading 2-0 and then come the third test, which we've talked about on the show before, that's when Bradman makes his 270, batting at number seven, turns it around, Australia win, and they win the last two tests to come back and win 3-2, the only time a team has ever done that still. Now, Chris Dobbins is unlikely to have seen Wally Hammond's innings, uh, I'm, I'm going to say. That's, yeah. that's probably didn't happen but if we're going with a theme of innings made at the Sydney cricket ground and and ones in which one player is head and shoulders above the rest I think that that could be the 231 for you Chris Dobbins I think that that was my thinking actually the moment I saw it that was that was almost exactly what I was thinking so I think you have got it Mm -hmm. Jeff I think that's yours. You happy with it? Yeah, yeah. You tick it I off? Am. All right. Yeah. There's one more number just to glance at. Now, this isn't strictly sort of in the the, the category of the others because so, – so here's the story. Uh, friend of the show, Tim Minchin, not that Tim Minchin, hmm. the other Tim Minchin, uh, has, has been signed up to the show for a while. Tim Minchin's partner, Heidi, uh, signed up also with a pledge of 25 and the point of this was that Tim's birthday was the uh, was was June the twenty fifth, and so the idea was that to try to get this uh, this number onto the show for Tim's birthday. Except we didn't get the message until after the birthday, so we we did this, but but it was a little bit late. But Heidi's number would have come up normally now had we not, in terms of where it was on the list. And so I thought, well, Heidi's number is here. Why not? Why not have a little look at Heidi's number? Because Tim is a passionate Queenslander, and. This is so nearly, 2506 
is so nearly the test batting average of Nathan Horritz, uh, one of the great Queenslanders who, who averaged 25.05. He also looked a lot career. like Doogie um, Howser, MD. Yeah, yeah. He looked a lot like a range of cartoon characters mm. as well. Always seemed concerned and sad, mm. like a Charlie Brown sort of sort of character. He needed a cuddle, um, didn't he? Made, I always felt, you know. He really did, yeah. For his whole career, just needed a hug and someone yeah. to tell him it was going to be okay. Or if he just shaved um, his hair off like Nathan Lyon and, you know, just had a little bit more of that sort of, you know, like that, that pitying look that Nathan mm. has, whereas there was something introspectively sad about Nathan that was a bit different. Yeah. Moritz, that is, yeah. as opposed to Lyon. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. And, and you know, in Australia, we don't trust people who have feelings um, because you never know what they're thinking. So he made a couple of 50s. He made a exactly 50 at the Gabba. He made 75 at the MCG when he took his first five-wicket haul, I remember, in that test match to bowl Australia to victory against Pakistan. But 25.05 isn't 25.06. But what is 25.06, speaking of spinners who could bat a bit, is the number of test runs made by Anil Kumble, 2,506 runs, including the ton that he made when India drew at the Oval in 2007 to win a test series in England, uh, something that they also did, asterisk, just recently. So that, that might be where I end up, Heidi, to send that back to you with a Queensland connection and a, a spinners who could bat connection. And also, coming out of the hat, Heidi, you win the Brick Lane this week. The giveaway, and I reckon that, you know, since it was Tim's birthday several months ago, maybe you could give it to Tim. I don't want to preempt your decision. Is that but how birthdays work? I mean, how, what's the statute of limitations on a birthday present? I thought a, I, I feel I like any time week. of the year. I thought a week. You can't be giving birthday presents three months in arrears. You could you can you, you could give store it for the next it and birthday. give it for the next one. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could you could give it early for the next birthday. You know, you I mean, it, you can't give it nine months early. That's crazy. That's crazy not? talk. I mean, that's a gestation. Why, why can't period. we think that's outside the, the that's box? That's the gestation period of a human being. I mean, yeah, that just seems yeah. that feels wrong. I mean, unless I suppose what well, you, well, I suppose I, what you're what you're basically saying is it's not so much birthday as conception day. Mm, mm. You're getting a conception right. day present. Yeah. Right. And then... Actually, yeah, I'm, a this su- is I'm the surprised day that- I haven't thought about that because my birthday falls in April, which is okay. Mm. It's okay. But if I had a conception mm-hmm. day birthday, it would be like the 14th of July, 14 juillet. I could like have it the same as mm. Bastille Day. Bastille Day. That'd be really exciting yeah. fun, wouldn't it? The day your father's French peasants stormed the prison citadel of your mother. Yeah, <laughs> and conceived me. <laughs> <laughs> and liberty was born. Yeah. Um, so I, I would like to point out, Daniel, you, you may not be aware of this, but Brick Lane just won a prize, a worldwide prize for making the best porter in the world. That. That's fantastic. In the world. They, yeah, that's what they I do. love a good um, porter. love a porter. On a, a, a cold evening when you settle down in a, a chilly part of town and you get a nice dark beer with all kinds of crazy flavours exploding in it, oh. uh, that... That is what Brick Lane uh, can do in award-winning style. Do you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing myself with Blatherwick and Balderson in a, mm-hmm. in a city-based, small, cosy pub with a fire on my glasses steaming up with a Brick Lane porter <laughs> as, we, as we discuss where to go next in this ongoing legal crisis that they've got me into. <laughs> <laughs> this too could be your reality. Uh, Brick Lane Brewing... <laughs> Dot com if you want to uh, check them out 
find them on the socials, all the stuff's in our show notes. They are lovely people making great beer who support the final word and we're grateful for that. Right, we're well past where the middle of the show should be, so this won't strictly be the middle, but it will be a break. And after that, we'll do the revisits as quickly as we can. (laughs) Sorry. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Uh, this is the final word, the story time with Jeff Lemon and Daniel Norcross. Three weeks out of five, a more regular co-host of story time than is he usurping Adam Collins? Is he sneaking up behind him to plunge in the knife? I don't no, know. No, no, um, he's definitely not. No. This is too much like a hard work. No, <laughs> oh, no, it is, it, it is a substantial amount of labour that goes into this, I must say. So, look, if you, um, you want to send us a nerd pledge... You go to patreon.com slash the final word, and in doing so, you can help support the show. It may mean that we can keep making it, and you can also become part of the show, as all of these people have done with their new numbers. And now these revisits, the ones we didn't get, and a few of these relate to a show we did a couple of weeks ago, Daniel. Grant Cartledge's $5.20 when he said this was about a POM oh, yeah. who had recently retired, who, who he thought was the best in their position in the world. And look, we talked about. We talked about slippers, gullies, Ben Stokes in the gully. We talked about uh, James Taylor at short leg. And we talked about wicket keepers. We talked about Jack Russell. And, and one thing that we discarded talking about was Sarah Taylor because we couldn't find any 520 links for Sarah Taylor. Uh, but it did seem too close. It did seem like it should be Sarah Taylor, who was categorically the best keeper in the world, especially through the last five or six years of this her is true. England career. And you came up with the fact that James Taylor, across all formats, uh, had taken five wickets in one, two wickets in another, and zero wickets in a third to make 520, which was very good. I thought very imaginative. Um, it is, in fact, more direct than this. Sarah Taylor was born on the 20th of May, 520. 520, that's 2.05. Yes. I mean, what kind of perversion is this? Is he from America? He- no, but it, but he did, his hint was think America, and I thought, oh th- god, oh, I've missed America. this. Oh. No, no, this this was a subsequent this was a subsequent hint after we didn't get it the first time. Gotcha. But Grant Grant has shone a light on where we were supposed to be going, and I feel somewhat foolish for not getting that earlier. But well done, yes, Grant. the twentieth no, of May. That's, was, that's good, Grant. I like that, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm kicking mm-hmm. myself now, and I don't quite know why I went through such <laughs> conniptions to come up with the most Byzantine <laughs> answer possible when. It was right. It was staring me in the face. But then I always have a problem uh, with nine eleven because I never know when to note it. Because, well, I mean, I do yeah. know, but when the eleventh of September comes up, it means nothing to me. Whereas nine, mm. you know, nine eleven, just just mm. they got it. They got it the wrong way around. It's why I got married on seven seven. This way, I knew that there would be no danger of ambiguity. Right. That's- <laughs> It's extremely intelligent. It's like the only time that I don't feel slightly panicky doing the OBO, um, writing the score, is when it's like one for one or two yeah. for two. <laughs> like, fine, no one's going to get angry with me now. <laughs> this is all good. <laughs> but I know, that, I know that as soon as as soon as it's two runs for no wicket and I put in none for two, I know there'll be some angry Australians out there. Nigel Brown. Now, the, this was 390 that Nigel Brown sent through, and you looked at Makaya Antini, who took 390 test wickets, and Stephen Cook, who made a horrendous innings of 390 runs in South African domestic cricket. Uh, Nigel sent through this uh, piece of correspondence to, to hand it to us on a plate. 
He said, Ireland do not hold many cricket records. Unfortunately, we will continue to hold the record for the lowest total in the NatWest Trophy, 39 all-out versus Sussex in 1985. Now, bearing in mind this was a Sussex team that had Imran Khan and Garth LaRue <laughs> taking the new ball together. Um, yep. uh, Nigel says, before the days of Test Status and World Cups, Ireland's typical summer highlights were the NatWest Trophy beatdown and occasional home match against the country touring England and a first-class match versus Scotland. Truly amazing how much Warren Dutram and Cricket Ireland have done to develop the sport. And I thought you might remember some of this Ireland caper from the 80s in the NatWest. Uh, well, I do. I do remember them coming up. And it, it's a terrible thing to say, but, you know, as a fan of Surrey, you'd go, oh, let's hope we draw Ireland or something like that. Because <laughs> you wouldn't now, but you, but you would have done then. And um, I've just got a little match report up here. And it's from Cricket Europe. So I think this mm. was written by, by an Irishman because it's, it's dripping with, I suppose, shame, I guess, is the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so Walk and Dennison Open. It would have been whether, whether they won or lost. Yeah. I mean, that's Catholicism for you. <laughs> that's true. They, there was a lot, of, a lot of confessing going on after this game. Walk and Dennison opened to LaRue and Imran, brackets, off a short run. So he wasn't even trying, is the implication. <laughs> All went well for seven overs. Bowling off spin. Then, then in his fourth over, LaRue dropped one short to walk, who was late on a pull and was bowled. The pace had beaten him. Wills was LBW next ball without playing a shot. The score advanced to 15, at which point four wickets fell. With the first three, the first three balls of his sixth over, LaRue did the hat trick. Dennison was LBW, Pryor bowled, and Patterson caught at slip off a terrible shot. <laughs> it's, 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 there's a lot of anger in there as well. It was the first hat-trick against Ireland since 1959. Imran joined the fun by bowling Lewis in the next over. Now the score was 15 for six. LaRue went off with five for seven in seven overs. <laughs> it would have been pretty tricky. Oh, I mean, LaRue and, uh, and Imran would have been tough for anybody, but for amateur cricketers coming over... Uh, who probably had quite a nice time the night before. Uh, it would also have been pretty tricky. Greg and Pygott took up the bowling. So I'm imagining Ian Greg and um, <laughs> yes. his name Pygott. We both, both played cricket for England. And both were pretty quick. McBride drove Pygott to extra cover in his first over, 28 for seven. Corlett and Halliday added 11. That was like, you know, w quite wonderful. In his next over, Pygott mm, was the big stand. <laughs> Collett's 11 was the only double-figure score in the Irish innings. It lasted 95 minutes. England, uh, sorry, Ireland had made 39 once before. This I didn't know, and is quite useful, I think, for our, our pleasure. Mm -hmm. Against Scotland at Castle Avenue in 1977, this 39 was the lowest score made in the NatWest Trophy by any team. Um, uh, and there you have it. The man of the match was Paul Parker. It wasn't Garth LaRue for taking five for seven. It was Paul Parker who scored 72. It's a batsman's oh, game, rude. Jeff. It's a batsman's it, game. That also really tells you that they thought that the batting was so shit that five for seven didn't count for much. No. <laughs> I think it was, it was yep. fairly clear. They were, uh, they were a little bit out of their depth. Mm.
All right. Well, Nigel, that is your 390. Thank you for corresponding about that. Now, you'll be pleased to know, Daniel, I've solved the double maxes with some help from the maxes. Max Gillespie and Max Hanlon, who both sent through 192. I remember them well, yes. I remember them very well. We looked at Bilal Asif's one-day international bowling average from the three games, I think. How could you not? It was Um, staring you in the face. It was. And we looked at the 19th of February, which was when Australia pulled out of their tour of South Africa. Now, Max Gillespie said that initial guest was actually very close because it was inspired, his pledge, by Australia pulling out of South Africa. But he said to change his pledge, he thought back to the moment when he knew COVID-19 would be changing how we do things for a long time. It relates to a particular moment in a game, a beautiful bit of deception and execution in contrast to complete silence. Well, You may recall that I was looking at the last match that was played before COVID cancelled everything for a few months when Australia and New Zealand played a solitary one-day international with no crowd and I couldn't find any 192s in the scorecard, so I discounted it. But in fact, I missed one because after 19.2 overs of New Zealand's chase when they were all out, Adam Zampa bowled a gorgeous wrongen to Kane Williamson. He'd been bowling straight at the stumps and then he floats one out wide, it drifts wider, it bites into the surface, it dips savagely and it turns back into the stumps. Williamson's pushing forward, he's done in the flight, has no hope of getting to it, goes through the gate and bowls him top of middle stump. Zampa gives it the big punch the ground celebration, but they're in a completely empty stadium Mm. and it's this bizarre moment of this gorgeous piece of bowling that would have lit up the stands and had people roaring and there's nobody there. Oh, there's nobody to cheer poignant. it on. How and that happened poignant. 19.2 overs. That's the 192 for Max Gillespie. I like it. I like it, Max. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Did you get to the bottom of the other Max? Yeah, the other Max said, this is good. So Max Hanlon says, the other Max's clue is relevant to mine. Oh, wow. I.e. a, a clear realisation that COVID would affect cricket. Another clue is the date I initially set the pledge, which was April 2020. Well, April 2020 is when Australia cancelled their tour to Bangladesh. (laughs) So how many tours can Australia cancel? Many. So that happened in 2020 after the the pandemic started taking off. And what is the Australian record partnership in one-day cricket against Bangladesh? But 192, which is what Warner and Kawaja put on at the World Cup, which was the one time Australia had played a full match against Bangladesh since 2011 when they dropped into Dhaka for a couple of one-dayers in about five days. So that World Cup game in 2019 was the only meeting since, you know, in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. between Australia and Bangladesh, aside from a washout at the Champions Trophy. And that is the number that Max Hanlon was thinking of when he thought of Bangladesh, the tour being cancelled. So two Maxes, two 192s, both relating to cancelled tours by Australian cricket. Who would have credited it? Well, it must be something that's common to Maxes the world over, I think. That, <laughs> that's, that's what they're thinking about. Max Beerbohm, I think, is, is imagining that precise thing as we speak. <laughs> Max Verstappen is... Oh. <laughs> It's, it's distracting him, quite frankly, on the grid. So thinking, what about Bangladesh and those cancelled Australian tours? Beep. Oh, shit, I've got to get going. 478 from Peter Holton. Now, this is one I thought you might be able to solve because it related to things in England. Uh, the clue from Peter 
given it did not relate to George Bailey's series tally in 2013 against India, said, it refers to a little giant who took my south coast side to heights it has not seen since, and a tally for a player who was, I believe, the last to achieve a particular county championship feat, 478. What did you make of it? Well, there are south coast sides galore, aren't there, all over England. But weirdly enough, there's only one that you think of as a south coast side, Sussex. Even though Hampshire mm. has a south coast, Kent has a south coast, maybe Somerset doesn't have a south coast. That's probably it, isn't it? But Kent, Kent and Hampshire mm. don't. And they've not really had any kind of heights with a little giant. It mm. was staring us in the face, wasn't it? It was Mushtaq Ahmed, the little leg-spinning giant, who mm. took 100 wickets in a season. I think he's the last man to do that. He took it twice in two championship-winning efforts by Sussex in 2003, 2000. Six in 2007, is that right? That sounds right, yeah. 90-odd wickets in the other one as well. And 478 must be must be the number of wickets he took for Sussex. Who He's right, they haven't reached those heights again. One of the reasons for discounting Hampshire was actually that Hampshire are hitting heights in the county championship and very nearly won it mm. uh, the other day and would have done if they'd uh, beaten Lancashire. When they only lost by one mm. wicket, it was utterly thrilling. So... It had to be Sussex. The numbers added up. And what a great player he was. Mushy. And, you know, it's one of the things about Sussex. It's quite strange. Rashid Khan is massive in Sussex. When you go and watch T20 there, there's a big mm-hmm. coterie of Afghan fans come out to watch him. And Mushtaq similarly energised the local community. And he was... Uh, it was at a time when Sakhalin Mushtaq had done a similar thing for Surrey in 1999, 2000 and mm-hmm. 2002. Sussex sort of got their own Mushtaq. Only he was the leg-spinning variety rather than the deucer bowling variety. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, English county cricket was awash with dominant mushtaks from 99 to 2007. <laughs> <laughs> Six county championships uh, between them in uh, eight seasons, I'm, nine seasons. I'm just looking at Mushtak Ahmed's um, Sussex record, 478 wickets at 25. Not bad. 45 wicket hauls and 15 10-wicket matches. Extraordinary. And it's curious that you mention Rashid Khan and the Afghan enthusiasm down that way, because that relates to my next revisit from Jim at Raja, who gave me the clue, the follow-up clue for 399, to say it's related to a test match, the number after adding something from the first and the second innings. Well, in Afghanistan's first ever test match in 2018, India made 474, and then you know, with, with a, a spread of wickets for Ashwin, Jadeja, Umesh Yadav, Ishant Sharma, and then got busy against Afghanistan, bowled them out for 109, made them follow on, bowled them out again for 103. The first time, 27.5 overs. The second time, 38.4 overs, which makes a total of 66.5 overs, which is 399 deliveries faced by Afghanistan in their first match. That is the 399 for Jim at Raja. I love it. That is, I mean, that is so nerdy. I don't know how we would get there in mm. normal time, but um, I'm, I'm glad that there are clues come in. Otherwise, that, yes. that's, that's one of those ones. When you send me these numbers, I think it's important uh-huh. our listeners know, I look at them and I, I play, I say I play a game with myself. My mind is filled with horror uh-huh. and I think if I was going to be locked in purgatory uh-huh. until I got the answer to this right... <laughs> How long would it take? So how many permutations, <laughs> even armed with, you know, Google and mm. everything? Yeah. 
how long would I take to get out? And that one, I think I might have got out of there within four or five years, maybe. <laughs> Three, nine, mm. nine. I, I, I don't maybe. mind that. There are a couple you've sent through. <laughs> That genuinely, I think I would still, I would be there for well over two, three thousand years. There'd be a whole host of ne'er do wells coming and going while I'm gazing at Google, trying to, what am I going to do with 481? <laughs> well, five, five, two, oh, that, that mean, crikey, Moses. I would have got that quicker, wouldn't I? Thinking about it if I was in purgatory. Yeah. I would recommend to people a podcast called Imaginary Advice, uh, which has a lot of different episodes, but one of them is imagining, uh, Bill Murray in Groundhog Day if he didn't get out and it's a, it's a range of creative writing pieces written by people at various numbers of days, you know, at, at, at 10,000, or sorry, various numbers of years after he's been in there for 250 years, after he's been in there for 4,784 <laughs> years and so on. It's an extraordinary piece of, of creative fiction. Uh, so, but the, the next number, this is the great thing here, is that these two links, so Jim at Raja links up to Jesse G, who came in with $6.49. Jim it's talking about a test match that didn't go so well for Afghanistan. Jesse comes in to to give me the clue to say that uh, this number was a more recent pledge and one made quite topical in some ways by geopolitical events. And I thought, okay, this has got to be Afghanistan. Jesse said it's related to a true captain's performance. Well, second time around when Afghanistan played test cricket, when captaining Afghanistan for the first time, Rashid Khan... Well, this would have been third test, actually, because they beat, they beat Ireland in their second, and this would be their third. Rashid Khan took six for 49, which is Jesse's number, in the second innings to beat Bangladesh in Chattagram, which always sounds like some sort of um, social media app or something. But he made 51 with the bat, uh, and then he took a five for in the first innings and six for in the second, so 11 for 104, uh, only a dozen times that a player has a 50 and two five-wicket hauls in a test match in the history of the game. He was 20 years old when he did that, Rashid Khan. That's quite <laughs> to something. Be, yeah. uh, a pretty handy side on home turf. He didn't do it on his birthday, on his 20th birthday. That's a great change. Jesse G's number and Jim at Raj's number both relate to Afghanistan and they both come together in perfect nerd pledge style. And 649 is because of... He took 6 for 49 six in for the 49 second Because he took 6 for 49 in the second innings. Mm. Yeah. To beat, to bowl them out, to win the game. So what did he take overall in the match? He took 11 for... 11 for 104. What we need to get you, you guys, is we, we need to find a really frivolous person with so much money that they'll pay $111.04. Mm. Mm -hmm. You get 11 for 104, yeah. Actually, if there's anybody, yeah. if, if Mick Jagger is listening, maybe yeah. you'd like to come up with a really enormous number maybe for the crunch. <laughs> Well, really, it should be eleven thousand one hundred and four dollars mm. um, for eleven for one hundred and four. That would be that'd be about and right. If it? Mick Jagger could, if Mick could do that, say for each show, if he could make that pledge as a per show basis instead of the the once a month, then that'd be really really handy. Yeah, Mick, if you if you're out there, yeah. um, drop us a line. We know you like cricket. Uh, the Gettys be as well. In the we chat. Could, I could have a word. I could nip round to Wormsy, have a word with John yeah. Paul Getty Junior. See what yeah. he yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Anyone who's interested, George Pearson, the 431, we talked about Richard Hadley and how it was impossible to tell him apart from Edmund Hillary because all New Zealanders look the same. At least the ones who look like that look the same. Now, George replied to say, maybe this number is too uneventful to everyone who isn't me, <laughs> um, but it's personal on a number of levels. I'm 
Cornish. This player is not Cornish, but as a county, we claim him anyway. And I'm in my mid-30s, so as an England cricket fan growing up, I had a childhood of pain, nothing but pain. So obviously I sent this to you, Daniel. You did. You're likely to figure this out. You did. And and I feel feel your pain. Um, I really do. Because although I'm 52 and it started well, I, I experienced much the same pain. While you were going through it, I was going through it. All the 90s were dreadful. But there was... There was occasion. Well, as is always the way with English cricket, these these moments, these bright sparks of loveliness that took place. So I'm looking at Cornish, and you said this person isn't Cornish, so it's not Jack Richards. No point in looking there. Should I look at Devonian cricketers and, and Somerset cricketers? Should I be looking mm-hmm. at uh, Marcus Trescothic? That occurred to me, but then I thought, actually, if you're a Cornishman, you almost certainly support Somerset. It's not called Devon, so you don't have to feel bad about yourself because Cornwall and Devon is a, an enmity stretching back as far mm. as the ages. Gog and Magog. Um, Adam and Eve got on, didn't they? But they probably would have divorced if there'd been a lawyer there. Balderson mm-hmm. and Blatherwick had been around. They'd have probably, you know, yep. been separated much <laughs> earlier than they were. <laughs> one, of, one of them had the pasties. One of them had a sort of had log of processed meat, you know. Who gets to just, keep the apples? Yeah. Oh, no. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, where was I yes so not Devon but Somerset because you can afford as a Cornishman to support Somerset doesn't hurt doesn't hurt mm-hmm. now Somerset who from Somerset the problem with my answer is that this person is not from Somerset but he played for Somerset was associated with Somerset and by this stage mm-hmm. was rotund um, well actually let's just say it he was he was he was overweight and unfit, as he had been for mm-hmm. most of the last seven or eight years of his career. But he survived on nothing but pure charisma and having the voodoo sign over Australians. It can only be IT Botham. Where does 431 come in? Given that Hadley is such a great um, rival of his, it was staring me in the face. Four for 31 he took against Australia in the World Cup. A game famous in England, probably forgotten in Australia. Australia had a decent lineup: Moody, Mark Taylor, Boone, Jones, Steve Waugh, Border, Healy, Taylor, McDermott, Mike Whitney, one of my favourite cricketers, and Bruce mm. Reed. <laughs> I'll give you 50 bucks if you put your face in this box of spiders. <laughs> yeah, him. And Bruce Reed, who by this stage must have been animatronic, basically, because it was 1991. <laughs> He was out bowled by been, Dermot if they would have had if, if they'd had the spider cam rig going, they would have just hung him off it on strings like yeah. a marionette. <laughs> just, <laughs> it'd have been more comfortable that way, I think, rather than having to actually have his feet on the ground. Gravity was a killer for Bruce Reed. <laughs> anyway, Australia Bruce was, Reed in space though would have been unstoppable. <laughs> Bruce Reed in zero grav, <laughs> he would, he really would. What a great task. Burning through the night, yeah. <laughs> 200 degrees, that's where the call is. <laughs> now I'm not going to be able to get that out of my head. Thank you for that. I've got, like, mm. I've got six hours before I can go to bed. So, guys, Don't stop can, me. You... Don't stop me. Oh, oh, no, oh. no, no, no. <laughs> anyway, I, I tee both them. Four Don't for stop 31. me now, Daniel. Four for 31 in 10 overs in that game. The guys he got yeah. out, I remember the wickets because they were, they were all powder puff deliveries apart from the, the LBW to get rid of Peter Taylor, the man that was often claimed to have been a mis- mistaken for Mark Taylor and yet somehow they kept picking him. 
<laughs> which is, it can't be true, that story. It can't be true, but it's always lovely to imagine that it was. Craig McDermott, he got for a duck, caught by Defratis. I think it was a slog somewhere. Ian Healy, I think he probably just slapped a short one to cover where uh, Fairbrother was. And Alan Border was bold, presumably pulling a slow bouncer from wide of the off stump back onto his off stump. <laughs> he took four for 31. England cruised to victory in a World Cup that they should have won. Uh, they were on the verge of knocking Pakistan out, but then rain came and saved them. It was in the times of the mad Richie Benno rain mm. rule. He was a great commentator, but yep. an absolutely terrible uh, mathematician. And England cruised their target, 173 for two, and IT Botham himself, 53 from mm. 77. That was swashbuckling in those days with six fours. As well, the thing is, I mean, the, 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 the thing is, though, that Alan Davidson actually invented the rain rule and Richie Benno stole all the fucking credit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I got all the overs and the runs, and it's Benno that came up with a calculation. <laughs> Bloody Benno. <laughs> yeah, anyway, England won that game by eight wickets. It was on the front page of the London Evening Standard. We were all very excited. We thought in England they were going to win the World Cup. And I think our yeah. friend, that, for our friend, that was a, a small glimmer of light in an otherwise dark and miserable firmament. Well, George Pearson, we hope that is correct, that number. That brings us to the very last revisit in, uh, in what has been an extensive show. It comes in from Jeremy Nash. Now, had you been on the program instead of me and Adam, Daniel, you would have got this in a second because Jeremy's number was uh, £6.67. My guess was that it was Adil Rashid's figures on county championship debut, uh, but it was not because the clue from Jeremy was uh, this started out well and then devolved into a spot of jiggery pokery. Now, I'm not a person who's listened to a lot of the band The Duckworth Lewis Method, but you probably mm. are, and uh, they have a song that has that name, which uh, Jeremy said, you would need to look into this band to decipher the original clue. They have a song, and that song is about a test match in Manchester in 1993, and it is about the point where Shane Warne came on to bowl his first delivery in England and bowled Mike Gatting. You might have heard of it. Um, but I, I thought here, because we do talk about the Gatting ball a lot, we don't necessarily talk about the state of the match so much, which is that this is a test match that has gone back and forth and, and back and forth. The Australians have an opening stand of 128. They're one for 183. Slater's made a 50. Taylor's moving towards a ton, belting Peter Such for boundaries down the ground. And then from there, Australia's all out for 289. Peter Such runs through them. He gets Boone caught at slip. It's a leading edge caught and bowled from Taylor through the gate to bowl Steve Waugh. Drags Alan Border out of his ground to get stumped, and he ends up with six for 67, which is Jeremy's number. Suddenly the match has turned around, and even more so in England come in and make 71 for the first wicket. They're none for 71. It's going well. Merv Hughes then gets a nick from Atherton. Mike Gatting comes in. Warren comes on, bowls him, and away we go. He gets Robin Smith a few balls later with, I think, an equally good delivery, one that's caught at slip rather than bowled, so it, it doesn't get the same number of replays. Gooch whacks a full toss to Brendan Julian at mid-on. England get bowled out for 210. Australia set them over 500, and that's that. It's when Gooch makes the 100, handled the ball. But it's a game in which Australia are on top and then England are way on top, and they should, they should be pressing home the advantage in that test, but then they're not. 
and that's what Jeremy's talking about at the moment, when it all seemed to be going well, Peter Such, six for 67, and then a spot of jiggery-pokery, and it all comes undone. Do you know, the first Test Match Sofa theme tune was a reimagining of the jiggery-pokery song. Was it? Yep, it was the same tune, but with different lyrics that uh, was put together huh. by one of our commentators. How bizarre. And it was... And it, huh. it was and it, Look, that, those sorts of things happened to England cricket fans quite a lot in the 90s. Yeah. The hope... It was always extinguished. But it was great fun while it lasted. And it made Peter such a folk hero. And there's nothing so good as someone who genuinely cannot bat. I think mm-hmm. it's one of the things that I regret most about the hyper-professionalisation of cricket these days is you don't see somebody who's basically blind. I, I talked to Ed Giddens the other day, mm. and we were laughing about this, who, who was on Nerd yep. Pledge a few weeks back. And uh, it was notorious for his terrible batting. And it turns out that his eyesight was so so atrocious, he did, and he wouldn't wear glasses because of vanity. So he would go out to bat with <laughs> abysmal eyesight, as some of the greatest fast bowlers this world has ball. ever known. He couldn't see the ball. Couldn't see the ball. He's had laser treatment since. He, he reckons he he could probably get his average up to about double figures. <laughs> You're probably middle a few now. Oh, that's extraordinary. Didn't they have contact lenses in the 1990s? Didn't, didn't I'm like, pretty sure they did, buddy. Didn't like wearing them. I think it was a bit sort of scratchy. I mean, look, people were crazy in those days. That's the way the world used to work. I, I just would have thought if you were, I don't know, facing Andre Van Troost or something that you might think, yeah, the, the contact lenses are a bit uncomfortable, mm. but probably being hit in the face by 160 <laughs> kilometre an hour cricket ball is less comfortable. Well, Ed, Ed, Ed had, had pretty fleet feet, so he'd be, he'd be some way yeah. away from his stumps by that stage. The ball tended not to, get, yep. not to trouble his body. A waving right. bat was, right. was the, the best chance of it connecting with any part of his agency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that brings us to uh, to the end. We've got a few confirmations, but I'm, uh, we might come back to those next week because we've got uh, we, we've we've done a fair few miles on the show today already, and I think. I think it's time to breathe in, breathe out, take a moment. Uh, thank you to Daniel Norcross for making time to come on Storytime. Thanks to you for listening. If you want to do a thing of, you know, leaving a review or a rating or something, that's nice. That helps. If you want to play Nerd Pledge, patreon.com slash the final word, you can help us out. Thanks to Brick Lane for sponsoring the program. Uh, this show is on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. They've got lots of other programs which you might be interested in if you want to check them out. And thank you to David Collins who edits the show week in, week out, uh, without complaint, without demur, no matter how much absolute bullshit we spin onto recording. He listens to all of it uh, and and always makes us sound he, good. He's so going to have DC. a tough week this week, so pray for him. Mm. And also mm-hmm. pray for us here in England. Yes. We've run out of petrol and we've run out of cricket. <laughs> and you're about to go back into World War Two. We are, although I, I never, I don't drink petrol anymore, so it's much less of a problem for me. <laughs> the old petrol martini. <laughs> Just don't make it a flambe. It doesn't work out well. This has been story time. We'll have the weekly show for you in the middle of the week when Adam Collins is back. See you next time. Goodbye.
Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at finalwordcricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. Finalwordcricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at bricklanebrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.